What should a Christian think what about abortion think about and the whole abortion? Roe v. Wade thing? Should I see a counselor? Or or if I do, what are they going to tell health? me anyway? Are we living in the end times? The end times? What is deconstruction? Does, Does God, God care, care if I vote? For? Should a Christian be in politics, politics with a healthy manner? Is it dumb to believe in God? Does God care about the environment that important? What does the Bible say about Is it okay to be gay? LGBTQ. Where do dinosaurs, dinosaurs fit in all this? How do I know no, if I'm good, good enough? Why do bad things happen to good people? Is it okay for a Christian to smoke weed? What is God's will for my How do I know what God is calling me to do? What am I doing here? Why are women treated so poorly in the Bible? Why do all of the things happen all at the same time? I've heard of some Christians who are walking away from God. Do angels exist? Why do Christians get baptized? Do dogs go to heaven? Is it a I get help. You asked for it. All right. Hey, Mountain. Hey, good to be together. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Let's give a big shout out. Welcome to all of our campuses, Abingdon, Edgewood, Aberdeen. Come on, Mount Row. Let's show them some appreciation. We love y'all. It's so cool to be a part of a church that's, uh, you know, one church in multiple locations, all those watching online. A big welcome to you. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and that was a lot of questions to think in, wasn't it? Like the, just the overwhelming nature of all those questions uh, being heard there, like all over time. And that's how a lot of our brains work, right? There's questions just constantly flooding our mind about this world. Uh, the past few weeks, okay, uh, I have been here at the Mountain Road campus, and I've been stepping off the stage at the end of the service and going over to our New Here area. Every campus and online, we have a New Here space. It's a place where we say we mug you. All right, it means we send you out with a mug, a free gift. You take it home. Uh, we send you out with a blessing, just a way to say thanks for worshiping with us. And each week I've been going there, I've been interacting with people who are brand new to this place. There's been this flood of people coming in for the very first time, just searching, seeking, wondering, navigating this life, and looking for answers. And I think that's somewhat of a, a sign of where we are as a community and as a culture. We're all looking for something. We all have questions that we want to be answered. And over at the New Here spot, we sit there and we dialogue and we talk. And as we start to, to talk about this community and this place and the worship and the messages, those people who are seeking and searching something, you kind of start to see some hope enter their eyes. Like something lights up within them. Something they've been looking for, they're starting to find. Because at the end of the day, all of us, every single one of us, we are seeking something in this world. We're looking for answers. All of us have this voice inside of us that is trying to make sense of this life. Every single one of us. And we start to give that voice a little bit of attention. Well, it starts to ask big questions about life, faith, this world, the way it works, what's our part in it. And so we've been in this series saying, hey, let's try to answer some of those tricky questions. Because they, they can be very, very tricky. But we know that as we turn to God's word and we rely on God's wisdom and we seek godly counsel for the answers, that the Lord, well, he honors that. And he helps us to find the answers. James 1 says it this way, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And so that's our approach through this series. We've been saying, hey, let's, let's take the hard questions that we have in this life and let's just put them in front of God's feet and let's let God answer them. And so that's what we've been doing, looking to the Bible looking to God's wisdom. I want to tell you today, if you're walking in here and you've got some doubt in your mind, can I just, it's an okay place to be. Sometimes we're, we're scared of doubt. We feel like doubt is not allowed. 
But I want to tell you that if you're walking in here today and you got some doubt going on in your mind, guess what? You're in good company, not just with me and others in this place, people participating in the service, but also with a great whole host of people throughout all of history, including some of those who are closest to Jesus. Doubt is not a bad thing when we are seeking answers. Doubt is not a bad thing. We're looking to the answers, the questions that lead us to doubt. And so that's what we're doing. And today's question, I think it's one that probably all of us at some point or another have wrestled with, maybe some for just a moment, maybe some of us our entire life. And that is the question of, is it dumb to believe in God? Yeah, that's, that's no small question to answer, is it? Like, how much time you got? You guys have anywhere to be today? I hope not, because here we go, okay? Is it dumb to believe in God? Well, I think the answer to that is no. It's not dumb or naive. There's many logical and sensible reasons to believe in God, and we should believe in God. There you go. There's your answer. Is that satisfactory? Are we happy? No! There's so much to uncover as we look to answer this question. And I got to tell you, today we're going to do our best. But what I want to start with is by answering a question of what might actually be dumb or foolish or an absolute shame, right? It may be dumb if. This is like the old uh, you may be a redneck if type of question. It may be dumb if you decide that it's dumb to believe in God without first giving God a chance. One of the things I've come to experience, and that many of us as a part of this community have come to experience, is that there is a real God who loves us. And when you walk in step with God, when you walk in step with Jesus, when you walk in step with the Spirit, you realize it's the best possible way to live. To live this life with Jesus, well, it gives you real life, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and hope. And For those who have decided they're just not going to believe in God. I mean, there's too many people walking around deciding that they're just not going to believe in God. Not because they've done the hard work to figure it out for themselves, but maybe because they're lazy. It's like, well, why why bother? Why do I need to care? Or maybe they've experienced something in this world that has hit them so hard that they've just decided, you know what, there's no way there could be a God. Or maybe because they're like me, they're selfish. Right? Because if there's a God, and that means I'm not, that means the world doesn't revolve around me. Maybe for some people it's like out of sight, out of mind. But for those who have declared there's a God, they've experienced something different in this life. But for those who have declared that there is no God, not because they've sought out God and not found him, but just because they've decided they don't want to believe, well, that seems like it may be more foolish than giving God a chance, given the implications on both this life and life eternal. Think about it uh, this way, okay? I've got a little skulk of kids in my house, my children, okay? And the littlest one, Miles, he, he just, he thinks I can do anything, He's fearless. He's an amazing kid. Uh, And what happens is anytime we go anywhere that has a platform that he can jump off of, uh, he does, okay? And he just fully expects that I am going to catch him. And this happens almost every single morning. I hear him wake up. I'm downstairs drinking my coffee, and I hear him. He does not get out of bed quietly. This kid is a wrecking ball, okay? So he gets out of bed, and you start to hear things, you know, clunk around. And I'll, I'll go around to the steps, and I'll yell up and be like, Miles, you up? And he says, I'm coming, Daddy. And you hear him take off running, and he turns the corner. He's upstairs. I'm downstairs. He turns that corner, and he just releases, expecting that I'm going to catch him. And I do most of the time. 
And he lights up with joy and excitement. He's like, Daddy, that was fun. And then he runs up the steps and he wants to do it again. And again, anywhere we go that has something he can jump off of, he wants to do it. But my daughter, Ella, okay, she, I would describe as maybe more timid or fearful. And she'll watch this thing play out where Miles will go up six, seven steps and he'll just want to jump over and over again into my arms. And she'll see it happening and she'll think, that looks fun. Like, I want to do it. But you can kind of see the fear in her mind, in her eyes. And so what she'll do is she'll come over and she'll just get on the very first step, right? And she'll be like, hey, Dad, you going to catch me? It's like, of course, girl, I got you. Let's go. Go on and jump. I got you, girl. I promise. Dad, are you sure? I'm like, girl, it is 10 inches. What do you have to lose, okay? <laughs> just jump. I'm not going to wait all day. And eventually she works up the courage and she's like, not yet. Not yet, okay? Here we go. And she'll jump to me. And she'll experience it, just a small little jump, and she'll be kind of like, oh, that was pretty good. That was fun. I like that. She'll go up a second step, and we start over again. Dad, you going to catch me? I got you, girl. Come on. Let's go. I got you. I can handle it. She'll work up the courage. Oh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. And then eventually, she releases. Then she goes to the third step. Same thing again. Fourth step. Same thing again. You see, for some of us, we, we walked in here one day, we came to church, we experienced the good news of Jesus, a friend told us about Jesus, and we were all in, jumping off the top step, having a blast, trusting that the Father was who he said he was and that he could handle anything we bring to him. And others, we've taken it one step at a time, diving into the Bible, discovering who God is, learning about this life and scripture and building up trust a little bit at a time and finding so much joy in every step. Not a life without difficulty, but a life with plenty of joy. See, some of us, we were all in, some we work up slowly, but what's a shame are those who are watching the joy and the fun that Ella and Miles are having, and they never even get on the steps and give it a shot. It's like, what do you have to lose? The first step is only eight inches. Get on the first step and jump, because I think what you'll find is that there's a God who loves you and who can catch you and who will bring you joy in this life that you didn't know was possible. And maybe today you find yourself on that first step just leaning in. Or maybe you're, you're watching years from now online someplace. Let me just say welcome to you. You are in the right place. I'm glad you're here, and I'm praying that the Lord uses this moment today just to get you started on the journey of faith. Maybe today isn't the day you find yourself completely convinced, but it could be the start of something beautiful that God's going to do in your life. And I want to tell you, this is a safe place to go on that journey. In this place, you're not going to find judgment or harshness or anyone backing you into a corner, trying to twist your arm, doing whatever it takes, thumping you over the head, trying to get you to believe. But what you will find is a group of people who love you, who have experienced the love of God themselves, and who are going to walk this journey with you answering questions, seeking answers, and praying alongside of you. You're in the right place. But let me encourage you, maybe even plead with you. Give God a chance. Because the God that we love and that we worship, he loves you more than you can imagine. John, 1 John 3, it says it this way, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. 
And that's what we are. The God of the universe, he loves you. He adores you. He welcomes you in and adopts you as his child. So is it dumb to believe in God? Well, I have come to the conclusion that no, it's not. And so have billions of others, people of many different backgrounds from all different countries and continents and walks of life and classes, races, ages. Many brilliant minds have landed in this place of saying it is not dumb to believe in God. And here's the deal. I wish I could completely convince you today, but you got to look at today as more of like a scratch and sniff, okay? We're going to scratch it. We're going to sniff something. I hope it smells good, and you want to come back for more, because we can't possibly round all of the bases that we need to today, but we're certainly going to try, because each of us, in our minds, we start to frame up an intellectual library, you know, a, a bookshelf filled of what we believe and how we look at the world and how we interact with the world. Now, I think we can add some books to the library of our mind that help us to know that there's a God, like this one. In this book, well, it would tell us that we can look at the existence of life as we know it and have reason to believe in God. We could talk about how perfectly balanced the universe that we live in is and how perfect the climate is of planet Earth that it allows life to sustain. I could spend hours talking to you about all the dials that got to be put in the very most perfect, precise place in order for this planet and this universe to allow life to exist and flourish. The best explanation we can possibly have for a universe like this and a planet like this that allows life to form and to flourish is intelligent design, that we have a creator. Now, listen to this. The world is so finely tuned to allow life that if the dials were adjusted by their value by one part in 10 to the 60th power, all life as we know it would be unable to exist. It's hard to chalk that up to just happenstance. The world is so finely tuned for human life that there's reason to believe in a creator and actually reason to not doubt it. We could pull off another book and we could talk about the morality argument. The fact that the very nature of how human life is composed and the moral compass that every person has baked into them, that God gave us a conscience to seek justice and do good in the world, is proof that there must be a good God who taught us to feel and think that way, that that's buried down deep within us. We could pull another book off the shelf, okay? And we could talk about... The faith argument, because when you really start to dig into it, the reasons to believe in God outweigh the reasons not to believe in God. And at some point, there's an argument that the more you know, it actually takes more faith to believe there is no God than to believe that there is a God. We're just scratching. Take a smith, okay? Don't worry about that one. We'll get it later. We're going to grab another book off the shelf. We're going to talk about the value of life. There must be some reason why we have elevated human value so high that we see human life as precious and set apart, making it the most precious thing in this world. We could grab another book. And we could talk about science and all the ways that science actually works to prove the existence of a creator, of the divine, of God. We could pull off a bunch more books and we could start to talk about creation and astrology and archaeology 
and psychology, the list of reasons that we can believe in God can go on and on and on. And we can start to fill out our intellectual bookshelf with all of the reasons to trust that there is a God. And that is good and important work to do, and I would encourage you to do it, okay? And here in the next few moments, you're going to see some book titles that will pop up on the screen that are books that I trust. I would encourage you to go read, do some digging for yourself. Again, we're just scratching the surface here. But I do think it's important to slow down and realize that just deciding to believe in God can't be our hopeful outcome. It just can't be. I mean, think about it. There are plenty of people all around the world who believe in God. It doesn't matter to you. People throughout all of history who have believed in a God. The agnostics believe in a God. The Muslims believe. Hindus, Buddhists, Christians, they all believe in the divine. All of them believe in a God of some kind. Billions around the world believe in God, a divine, a creator. Because logically, when you start to dig into it, it just kind of makes sense. Actually, the lack of belief in the divine and a creator, it's more of a modern trend. Only in recent history have people started to question whether or not that is actually the case. And so you can fill out your bookshelf with all kind of books that help you to believe in God, to understand there is a divine, to believe that there is a creator, and know that he is real. But where does that really lead you? What are the implications of that on, in, in your life? How does that impact your life? It doesn't have to. It may not. And it leaves you wondering, well, there may be a God, okay, but why should that matter to me? Because what happens is God and our proof of God and his existence becomes one or two of the books on our intellectual library shelves. It leads me to wonder, maybe we're answering the wrong question today. After all, we said we're going to look at the Bible to lead us to our answers through this series. Did you know that the Bible actually never tries to convince you of the divine? It doesn't go there. You can fill your bookshelf all you want, but we need to reckon with the fact that the Christian Bible that we know and have and have plenty of reason to trust, another sermon for another day, is actually assuming that all the readers and those engaging with it would already believe in the divine and a creator. It's never trying to convince you of that fact because it doesn't think that fact is needed. The Bible just assumes it. One example, Psalm 8, David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful? See, the Bible assumes that there's a God who created everything and created us. So what if the question that we need to answer today isn't, is it dumb to believe in God, but rather, is it dumb to believe in Jesus? I think that's the better place to start, because after all, I think that is what all of Scripture is pointing to. From the very first words to the very last words, they are all pointing to our desire and need to know and understand that there is a Messiah, there is a Savior, and He cares for you. You can fill your bookshelf all you want with reasons to believe in God. And we know that's the only the start of what we fill our minds with. Now, we fill our minds with all kinds of intellect about this world and how to interact with it. Our hobbies, the past, the future. All of that makes its way into our noggins, okay? But when we slow down 
and we understand Jesus, well, then all of that knowledge starts to make sense. We fill our bookshelf with all sorts of content trying to make sense of this world, but if we don't have Jesus, what's the point? What kind of framework is that? We need to adjust our thinking instead of the very thinking of the Bible, which is show me Jesus, and then you will see God, and you will see the rest of the world and how to make sense of it. You see, Jesus, he's not just one or two books on the shelf. He's not just one aspect of our life. It's worthless to have all of these books, all of this content, all of this knowledge in the library without first having a firm foundation of Jesus. See, he's got to be at the center of it all. So Jesus tells us in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Our goal in this life should never be to convince people that there is a God or proof as such, but instead it should just be to show them Jesus, the one who has given us a foundation by which we can view everything else in this world. It only makes sense if all of the knowledge and all of the intellect, if the library is filled out, not as Jesus as one of the books, but Jesus is the very foundation that holds up everything else. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And if you are here today seeking something, all I can do, all any of us can do, is show you Jesus. Jesus says he's the truth. The truth means it's something real, genuine, verifiable, factual, legitimate. Jesus is saying it's because of me that you can experience God and you can experience this world the way that it was meant to be. See, because following Jesus... That has implications on your life because it changes the way not just you view one book on the shelf, but the way you view every single one of them. Jesus is saying, let me break apart your framework and let's just start over. Quit trying just to believe in a divine and said, let me show you a better way to live. Because all of history, all of scripture, everything we believe has been pointing to one moment. That's the moment that Jesus would enter the story. This beautiful moment when Jesus would enter the world, both fully God and fully human. He allows us to see what is real and know that there's a God who cares for his creation. And he's proven that through the love of him giving his only son. It's through Jesus and reliance on him and that foundation that we can view the rest of the world. We can start to add back to our library the things that are most important. And it's as we add our life back to Jesus that we can start to reformat the library of our life in a way that actually makes sense. We yoke up with Jesus, well then it makes things like science and creation and archaeology and astrology and psychology all start to make sense and come to life. Jesus has to be the cornerstone foundation by which we view everything else in this world. N.T. Wright says it this way, okay, we talk all the time about why Jesus was born, and we talk all the time about why Jesus died. But why did he live? Well, he lived to show us the character of God, the attributes of God, the plan that God has for each of us, that we can find life in him. 
He showed us how to live and how the world is supposed to function. He showed us how to get back to God. He teaches us how to think. He showed us how to live the way that God wants us to live. It's only through the foundation of Jesus that we can fully experience all that God wanted for us in this world. And everything else that we take in is seen through that beautiful posture of how Jesus lived. In John 8, Jesus once again saying, if you know God... You know me, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, you will know the truth. It's through Jesus that we understand the full truth, and that truth, it will set you free. Fill, fill the bookshelf all you want, but we'll only find truth in Jesus, and you've got to start there. So is it dumb to believe in Jesus? Well, I've reached the same conclusion as the first question. I believe the answer is no. It's not dumb. And billions of other people have found themselves in that very same place. People from all different backgrounds, all different classes, all different countries and continents, people of different ages and races, many brilliant minds. And so once again, let's jump into the scratch and sniff that we can today. And let me maybe offer you a little bit of proof that you can trust who Jesus says he is. Let's start with this, okay? Why is it not dumb to believe in Jesus? Well, First, Jesus was a real person, and it's kind of embarrassing that I even have to say that, but there is a modern trend that starts to just throw Jesus up to some kind of fairy tale that was written down in a book in a time and place that never actually happened. But did you know that there are no scholars, Christian or secular, worth their weight, who would doubt the fact that Jesus was a real person. And Jesus went around claiming divine authority, entering the scene, claiming to be God, and doing stuff that just blows your mind. I mean, Jesus told us what he was doing, right? He tells us in John 10, the work I do in my Father's name is to testify about me. Those are the miracles and the things that Jesus would say that would, that would bend people's minds. John 14, he says, believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. There's no doubt in historians' minds that Jesus was a real person who lived a remarkable life, claiming to be God, and all around him some pretty trippy stuff was happening. He was a real person. We can talk about how the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, gives us reason to believe Jesus. Think about this with me for a second, okay? The Bible contains... 66 books written by 40 authors, written over the span of 15, 1,600 years in five languages across three continents, all the while sustaining one unified story that points to Jesus. You know, we often pick up the Bible and we're like, okay, it's, it's, it's the book. Like, we have it. But this book is a library in and of itself, a bunch of scrolls collected together, written over 1,500 years, that all point to the very same moment in history, the moment of Jesus Christ entering the world. It's mind-blowing when you look at this book and then you see the fact that the manuscripts we have that we can rely on making the most credible historical document in all of literature. If you look just at the New Testament, the first four books, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you start to realize that they were written right after Jesus' death and resurrection. They were written too soon to be considered legend. There were eyewitnesses there, and they were carefully passed on without change. There were specific details included that weren't necessary to include, but helped verify the validity 
of what's written. They give four different people's perspectives, experiences of Jesus, each with different details, but all wrapped together with beautiful unity. We could talk about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. You ready to have your mind bent just a little bit here? As you read the Old Testament, as you read the scriptures, you start to see these little nuggets that we call prophecy that are pointing to Jesus. As you read these prophecies, what you start to realize is there are prophecies given, hundreds of them, specifically about Jesus, all of which include some pretty specific details. Those prophecies, they talk about places that don't exist, people who have yet to be be born. One of them in Psalm 22 talks about how Jesus would be crucified. Crucifixion had not yet been invented. You look at these prophecies, And you realize the majority have been proven true, and the rest, well, they're still coming to the reign of Christ. One mathematician, his name is Dr. Stoner, okay? I know some some of you immediately are like, I'm not trusting that guy. You can trust him, okay? Listen to what he has to say. He pulls out his TI-85 calculator, all right? And he starts to do the math to help us better understand the probability of all these prophecies coming true. And he says if you take just 48 of the nearly 465 prophecies of Jesus— The odds of them all coming true in one person are 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Try and write that number down, I dare you. Ask Siri to write that number down for you. It's not going to happen. We can't even fathom that number. The odds are stacked against Jesus, but we have a God who defeats all odds. He was real. We have a lot of reason to trust the Bible. The prophecies point to it. Let's talk for a minute about the resurrection. You know, Jesus came, he died, he resurrected again, defeating the grave, sin once and for all. But how can we believe that he actually rose from 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 the grave, stepped out of that tomb? When you read the Bible, you realize if this is a book we can trust, If that actually happened, then all of Jesus' claims were true. Proves his connection to the Father. And we can have hope in that. And when you look at Paul's writings in the New Testament, they come right on the heels of the resurrection. And Paul is kind of saying like, hey, I'm going to be really careful here. I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm not going to blow this out of proportion. What I want to do is just give you some facts. And you can go verify those facts. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. This is the most important thing in all the universe, y'all. This is the foundation by which everything else is seen. That he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of our brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James and the apostles, and last of all, he also appeared to me. Here's the list of people who experienced the resurrected Christ, who could see the wounds in his arms, who could see him firsthand, touch him, feel him, and knew that he rose from the dead. If you don't want to take my word for it, go ask him. Why on earth would Paul have said that to this group of new Christians in Corinth? Unless the people were actually still alive to verify it. The hundreds and hundreds and hundreds who experienced Jesus alive. Paul saying, Don't just take my word. Go verify. Go ask them. 
they're mostly still alive. A few have died, okay? I'm not going to get crazy here. A few are gone, but most of them are still here. Go ask. The resurrection had eyewitnesses, people who experienced Jesus alive, a man who was supposed to be dead. And from that moment on, the Christian faith, it took off like wildfire. Catch this, before Jesus resurrected, like when Jesus just died, and the apostles and the disciples and all of his followers thought that was the end of the story. Do you know what they did? They went into hiding. They were terrified. The God that they followed just died. The one they thought was the Messiah. They went into hiding. What can make these bunch of cowards run out and leave their homes and their jobs and their community to go spread the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ, a dead man walking can do that. It's from that moment of the resurrection that the Christian faith took off, and it has not slowed down a bit. And billions and billions and billions of people have been turning to Jesus ever since. Our entire faith, everything we believe in, our hope, it hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And when we really start to dig into it, there's so much proof surrounding it that we realize we have a God who loves us enough to die for us. Is it dumb to believe in Jesus? No, no I don't think it is. Although we've just kind of scratched the surface. <laughs> Take a big whiff. I hope it smells good. And I hope you'll look for more. The more you dig into it, the more you realize the truth of the way C.S. Lewis put it. One of the great heroes of our faith, here's what he says. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really, really foolish things that people often say about Jesus. And that is that I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't, claim, I don't believe his claims to be God. There's one thing we must not say, and that's it. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus did well, he, he couldn't be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level along the same lines of a man who says, guess what, I'm a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and worship him as Lord and God, but let us not come up with any of that patronizing nonsense about him just being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, the list could go on and on and on for reasons that we can trust that Jesus is who he said he is. Reasons that it's not dumb to believe in Jesus. We can build that framework by which everything else in this life can be seen. We can use our brains, our intellect, our reason. We can have hope in Jesus and that there's a God. But at the end of the day, no matter how much data you collect, there will forever be an element needed of faith. I mean, I wasn't there to touch his wounds, to see him resurrected. And so maybe the most compelling thing I can invite you to do today isn't to take my word for it or to go read a bunch of books, but instead it's simply to invite you to try and experience Jesus.
Jesus brought with him claims that we need to experience, claims about being God, about offering salvation, about giving life and joy and fulfillment. Jesus shows us a new way to live and act and interact with this world, and it was odd and out of place in his culture, and it is still today. But in some profound way, when you experience Jesus, it starts to help you make sense of this entire world. My job's not to convince you. It's just to show you Jesus. It does me no good to convince you. Convince you there's a God, there's this Jesus guy who did amazing things. All that falls short until you actually experience his love for you. The Gospel of John, well, it ends after having experienced Jesus firsthand, seeing his, his life, walking with him, seeing the miracles, seeing the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And the writer, he ends the book in this way. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. They didn't even bother to write them all down. But these that you can read here, they're written down that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word belief in the Greek, it means a whole lot more than maybe we give it credit for. It means trust, allegiance, loyalty, actually entering into the story, entering into the life of Christ. The Gospel of John, it ends this way as a way of saying to the reader, don't, don't just read it, don't just applaud it, don't just be glad for it. Don't just put a bunch of books on your bookshelf. But instead, get into the story. Experience the love of Jesus for yourself. And he will change the way that you see everything else. Hebrews 11, it reminds us, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command and our faith and our experience of Jesus in our life. It's at that time and that place that we begin to understand. Let me tell you, you'll be invited into a real relationship with the real Jesus. And through that, I believe that you're going to see the beauty of the real God. But you got to decide to take a step. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And all signs point to Lord. And those who have experienced him in that way, they experience the joy that Jesus gives us. They're jumping off the step into the arms of the Father, and they're realizing how good it is. All I'm asking you to do today is give it a shot. Get on the first step. What do you have to lose? It's only eight inches. If you've not experienced Jesus, just try. Because when you realize his love for you and that he's given you the spirit of God, an advocate, as John 14 says, who lives this life with you, it changes the way that we see everything else. Get on the first step. Give it a shot. What do you have to lose? Let's pray. God, we come before you. God, in our humility, saying, God, that we don't have it all figured out. 
Jesus, my prayer today is that each of us, no matter how long we've been walking with you or if we haven't even begun yet, will realize that you are inviting us further and deeper into relationship with you. So God, for some of us today, we're on step six, and we're going to move to step seven, and we are going to jump with joy. But for some of us, God, we're stepping on the staircase for the very first time. Praise be to God for that. Reveal yourself, God. We, we're scratching, and we're sniffing, and we're thinking, oh, yeah, I want more of that. God, pull us in. Help us to realize that you are, in fact, Lord. And through that, God, transform all of us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.